Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll talk to Michelle Finley, chair of the Women of Influence Speaker Series put on by Habitat for Humanity Manitoba Women Build. We'll learn about the upcoming guest speaker for their event that's happening next week. We'll also speak with Shelley Sweeney, head of Archives and Special Collections at the University of Manitoba Libraries, to learn more about its recently launched digital archive of the Winnipeg Tribune. Find out more about how you can view and search newspapers from its 90-year history. Then we'll speak with President Bev Watson and Vice President Dave Patrician of Dreams Take Flight Winnipeg. They'll give us the lowdown on their upcoming 25th anniversary golf tournament and how you can join in the fun. We'll also learn about how people aged 18 to 34 have the opportunity for a $10,000 grant from the Change-Up program via the InSpirit Foundation. Their manager of stakeholder engagement and communications, Radena Bahubeshi, joins us via telephone and we're going to hear all about it. And finally, looking to pick up some great produce this weekend? We'll tell you how when we learn all about this weekend's Open Farm Day that's happening on various farms all across Manitoba. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Welcome to River City 360. Thank you for tuning in on 93.7 CJNU. Robert, how are you doing this fine day? I'm doing well, Nolan. How are you doing? I'm doing well as well. Well, quite well as well. How well are you doing? (laughs) It's a lot of wells. Very well. Don't fall into a well this afternoon or this weekend. We have a huge show today. I'm actually pretty excited. There's a lot of cool people to talk to and a lot of interesting stories to tell and things to learn about that's happening this weekend and and abroad here in Manitoba. So you know what? Let's get right into it. Our first show is going to be, uh, or sorry, our first interview is going to be with Michelle Finley. She's of the women of, she's the chair of the Women of Influence Speaker Series. Uh, That's put on by Habitat for Humanity Manitoba, their Women Build uh, section. So we're going to learn all about that. But before we get to that, why not a little Doris Day with Dream a Little Dream of Me right here on River City 360. Stars shining bright above you Night breezes seem to whisper I love you Birds singing in the sycamore trees Dream a little dream of me Say nighty night and kiss me Just hold me tight and tell me you'll miss me While I'm alone and blue as can be Dream a little dream Sunbeams find you Sweet dreams that leave all worries behind you But in your dreams, whatever they be Dream a little dream of me 
sunbeams find you Sweet dreams that leave all worries behind you But in your dreams, whatever they be Dream a little dream of me Dream Listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in studio by Michelle Finley. She's the chair of the Women of Influence Speaker Series that's put on by Habitat for Humanity Manitoba. Michelle, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So the second event is happening uh, this coming September 19th. Uh, it's going to be breakfast with the president-elect of the Canadian Mental Medical Association, Dr. Gigi Osler. Um, so the first event was back in March. What motivated Habitat for putting on an event like this or these events now, this series? Well, the Women Build Committee is uh, a fundraising um, part of uh, Habitat for Humanity Winnipeg. And we put on, uh, we actually sponsor a house every year. We're working on our 15th Women Build sponsored home this year. So we were looking for new ways to raise money uh, to build this home for this year. And uh, we, I came up with this idea. There just seems to be a real... Uh, lack of opportunity to have women come together, women and men come together to hear established and influential women from our community speak about their experiences. And I'm really someone who believes strongly in learning from other people and uh, being inspired by other people. And I want to be inspired by accomplished women. And so this seemed like a perfect fit. For sure. So there's a surgeon uh, doctor that's speaking on the September 19th for the second series. Who was the first series and what was the response from people? The first series we launched on International Women's Day, which was March uh, 8th of this year. And we had uh, the wonderful Mariette Muller. She is the president and CEO of the World Trade Center uh, located here in Winnipeg. And she put on a fantastic uh, uh, session. She was engaging and enthusiastic and talked to us about um, she's actually uh, Taekwondo uh, black belt. So she brought she tied that into uh, her presentation. presentation and and just taught us all about uh you know kind of when things don't always move forward for you how you can conquer that Mm -hmm. and uh you know rise above it um and it was really inspiring we had about 160 people there men and women uh from all walks of life uh and the money raised of course goes to build our 15th women build home uh, which is being built right now actually on alford uh, street and uh, so we had such good response we decided to move forward and uh, uh, book our second one and we have uh, Dr. Gigi Osler she's actually president now of the Canadian Medical Association okay, when we booked cool. her she was president-elect I got but it for she, you. yeah she's since become president cool. um, she's uh, the first uh, woman from Manitoba to hold that position wow. and she's extremely engaging and I'm really looking forward to to having her uh, talk to us about her experiences um, she's a big proponent of more diversity in the healthcare system mm-hmm. and what that can mean, the benefits uh, that would mean for everyone. For sure. So for the for people who uh, listened to the first speaker series, uh, what was their response when people kind of came up to you afterwards and, and responded to how uh, the first speaker spoke? 
Yeah, well, it was really fitting to have it on International Women's Day, right? It's a great day to highlight uh, the achievements of women and the places we need to still go in right. uh, bringing equality uh, for women in, in many walks of life. Um, so the response, the comments afterward, this was fantastic. I definitely want to attend again. They really liked the breakfast time slot because you can go and hear this really engaging speaker before you set off for your day. Get nice and inspired for work. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of an underutilized fundraising time slot. And the folks at the uh, Royal Bank uh, Convention Center, the RBC convention center are just great uh, they put on a great breakfast so it just seemed everything fit together and so we definitely want to keep building on this initiative and uh, we're sure that dr osler is going to be a great uh, a great second Absolutely. speaker so talking about building on the initiative let's talk about women build like well, how did this come to be you said 15 homes for people that are in need of affordable housing what what makes women build special well women build is it's not Habitat in itself is special. It's a unique model. I mean, uh, the homeowners are purchasing their home. They put their own sweat equity into it. And they're, um, like I said, they're purchasing the home at fair market value uh, with uh, no interest, no down payment. So uh, we, Habitat, firmly believes that homeownership is a hand up and out of kind of the cycle of housing poverty. Um, Women Build is special in that it gives not only the homeowners an opportunity to be empowered through homeownership, but it gives women an opportunity to work on a build site. Mm. Now, women in construction, uh, we know that we need more women in trades, but going on to a build site or learning construction skills, it can be intimidating. For sure. So Women Build gives women and men too the opportunity to learn leadership skills and to learn construction skills in a very inclusive environment. Um, and our house leaders, the folks that lead the construction are women. Uh, they've been with Women Build for a long time, so they're very uh, talented builders in their own right. And then we have habitat support for when we need it. Um, and it's just, it's become a real uh, unique way for women to get out and swing a hammer. And yeah. it's, uh, there's no pressure. You can uh, take on the tasks you want, or if you want to, you know, work on site safety, you can do that. It's just a really interesting environment. And we find that women come back year after year. Um, mm. And uh, we don't have any shortage. Uh, we always need volunteers, but uh, the build is really the fun part of for it. For sure, absolutely. So, for for this series, why why is it why is it important to give women a platform to to be able to express themselves and to be able to tell their stories and inspire others? Well, I approach uh, a lot of the way I think about this fundraiser, maybe from a feminist aspect. I think that, um, you know, you can turn on the TV any day of the week or you can open up any magazine and you can see men who have risen to the top of their professions are given these opportunities to speak. Um, and I think when young women and uh, girls are, you know, looking through media and reading, they don't see a reflection of themselves. Um, and even more so, um, you know, minorities, women of color, uh, indigenous women, um, um, those folks also don't have mm -hmm. uh, the same opportunities as men would to present their accomplishments. So I think that making opportunities like this fundraiser, and it's a it's a win-win situation. It's a great fundraiser for Habitat, and it's a great way to highlight these accomplished women. I think we just need to do more of these, mm -hmm. and women need to support them. Um, and we need to bring our daughters and our, our nieces and women that were young girls that we're caring for, we need to bring them along too. For sure. Yeah, I think when young people especially see themselves represented in successful people, they, that will inspire them to believe that they can go down whatever path they happen to choose, whether it be, you know, building a house or becoming a doctor or whatever it may be. Absolutely. And I think Dr. Osler will, um, Osler will touch on that. She talks a lot about how um, there weren't girls that mm -hmm. looked like her uh, going into medicine and there weren't women. In fact, she talks, uh, she's spoken recently in the news about how when she wanted to go into surgery, she was put, she was uh, people were trying to persuade her not to go into surgery. It wasn't wow. a it wasn't a track for women in medicine, and she 
back to all those trends and now she's a leading you know uh, surgeon and a teacher a professor cool. well if someone is listening to this and thinks that might be someone interesting to listen to where can they find more information or buy tickets and all all that good stuff yeah we still have lots of tickets left um, and tickets are available online at habitat.mb.ca or you can give habitat a call at 233-5160 and uh, the tickets are $60 um, and you're welcome we also have corporate tables still available um, and we would just love to have everyone come out uh, it's a, it's a great mix of people um, and it's a perfect way to start your day. Very cool. So the Women of Influence Speaker Series, it's happening, uh, coming up Wednesday, September 19th at 7, 7.15 a.m. Uh, tickets are $60 each. You can go to habitat.mb.ca. Michelle Finley, Chair of the Women of Influence Speaker Series, thank you so much for talking to us today and telling us all about it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks again to Michelle Finley for speaking with us today. And if you'd like to check out the Women of Influence Speaker Series or learn more about Habitat for Humanity Manitoba, you can visit the website at habitat.mb.ca. Coming up next, we'll have my conversation with Shelley Sweeney. She is the head of archives and special collections at the University of Manitoba Libraries. And we talked about their recent edition of 90 Years of Archives from the Winnipeg Tribune, which published from 1890 to 1980, and now it's digitally available. So stay tuned for that. We're going to speak about how you can actually access those archives for yourself and, uh, and search them and view some of those papers. But before we get to that, though, here is Bert Camfort with Newspaper right here on River City 360. <laughs>
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined via telephone by Shelley Sweeney. She is the head of Archives and Special Collections at the University of Manitoba Libraries. Shelley, tell us a little bit about the U of M Archives and Special Collections and, and what you do there. The Archives itself was started in 1978, and I came along in 1998. And one of the things that uh, we look after are community requests and obviously the students and researchers, scholars from other universities as well as here and faculty and staff. So um, we uh, will help people find what they need from the resources that we hold. Do you have to be a student to access the archives or are they open to the public? No, absolutely they're open to the public. We actually encourage the public to come in and we have a lot of resources that can supplement resources that uh, they might find in the library system. So yeah, no, we, we have unique resources here that are absolutely useful for people in the community. And I want to talk about one of the newest additions to the uh, the U of M archives. And yesterday there was a very special event that celebrated this launch, and that being the newly digitized archive for the Winnipeg Tribune. Tell us a little bit more about what's now available for people. Well, just to back up a little bit, when I came here in 1998, I discovered that the Winnipeg Tribune archives were one of the most heavily used resources that we had. And the only way we could get access to the newspaper itself was either scrolling through miles and miles of microfilm, or uh, we were using indexes that would try and guide you to um, clipping files. And so we really kind of felt that um, to digitize the newspaper itself would be a really important component of our uh, service to the community. And so um, we had a launch of the digitized newspaper to make people aware that it's freely available on the University uh, uh, Archives website and that it also is available to follow up with other requests so that if somebody, follow, if somebody finds material in the newspaper, then they can follow up with us to get other resources. So um, we had Donna Harvey, who was the last editor of the Winnipeg Tribune, and uh, she spoke about the end of the Tribune and uh, some of her work in getting the records to the University of Manitoba. You mentioned that the Winnipeg Tribune was one of the most uh, searched publications uh, at the archives. What can you tell us about the, the Winnipeg Tribune? And, and looking back, why do you think that it's been so fondly remembered by so many Winnipeggers? Well, I found that people were quite distraught. I mean, I came uh, well after the um, closing, you know, nearly 20 years later after the closing. But people were still coming to me and saying how upset they were that the newspaper had been closed. So I did do a little bit of digging into why this would be such a traumatic experience. And what I found was is that the Tribune really was the community newspaper. It uh, published information really on a very local level about very personal 
things about individuals. And so people really kind of depended on that uh, news uh, to find out what was going on in Winnipeg. And, you know, it did have a broader mandate. It did include provincial, national and international news. But really, it was a very, it was focused on the community. It also holds uh, the distinction of being one of the uh, the oldest newspapers in the country as well. I think it was around for 90 years. Yeah, I mean, it, it started in 1890. So it was certainly a, one of the early newspapers and certainly one of the earliest newspapers uh, that continued in Manitoba. So it's a contemporary uh, commentary, if you will, on community life, which is, it's important, I guess, from a timing point of view, it's not commenting on things that took place a lot earlier. It was giving people what was known about events and activities at the time. And so that contemporary nature of the interviews that they did and the stories that they ran, uh, you know, was quite an important resource for people then, you know, doing research into activities in the past. Tell me a little bit about the process of digitizing all of these papers. How long did it take and what goes into that process to make it available to people? Well, here's the thing. As far as I'm aware, there is no complete set, uh, not even close to complete set of actual physical newspapers left anymore. But uh, we did have microfilms of the Evening Tribune, at least. So those microfilms then were sent off to a company in Calgary. Uh, it took uh, over four years. We Previous to four years ago, we had done uh, just two very short runs of World War I and World War II, because we sort of saw that as kind of our most critical uh, time period. And then it took four years to do the rest of the the newspaper from 1890 to 1980 when it closed. And uh, basically what the company in Calgary was doing was uh, taking the microfilms and then digitizing every image on the microfilms and converting that into a digital form. Then, of course, you have to index all of that. You have to make it. You have to use optical character recognition to make the text readable and then uh, index all of the the readable text. So it's actually quite a complicated process, but it does allow you to search within the text that's on each page and search across uh, issues so that you can put in one term and search throughout uh, all of the issues, say if you wanted to follow a, a particular theme or you could narrow it down to a single issue and uh, search on that particular issue. And that's one of the cool things that was uh, that was mentioned yesterday at the demonstration, was that people can actually search the archives to find things specifically of interest to them, like relating to a topic, as you mentioned, or even relating to maybe their neighborhood or their street. Yeah, or their houses. Uh, sometimes uh, there, there were stories about people's houses or um, people, maybe they attended a musical event, you know, in 1962, that would be recorded. Maybe it was uh, some accomplishment for it. I mean, over the years, the stories that people have brought us about why they were searching for the, the newspaper were often quite touching. One woman was searching for images of her grandson who had committed suicide. You know, another one, they had a, a newspaper clipping that had disintegrated on them <laughs> about their aunts. And so they were very keen to, to find that newspaper clipping again. So it's all about relationships and narrative and personal connections, I guess, is what I would say. 
And so if our listeners would like to learn more about this new archive, or if they'd like to access the archives for themselves and check out some of the past stories of the Winnipeg Tribune, where can they go to, uh, to find out more? Well, they can go to the University of Manitoba Archives and Special Collections website, and we actually have a link uh, on our page that's specifically dedicated to the Winnipeg Tribune. And so they can go to that, click on that link, and that will take them to the uh, many resources we have relating to the Tribune, including our photo collection, our clipping collection, and the digitized newspapers. That's great. Well, Shelley, thank you so much for speaking with me today about uh, the new Winnipeg Tribune collection through the U of M archives. Thanks. I'm very happy to let people know about it. Thank you, Robert. Coming up next, our very own Sonny Promolo is going to be bringing us his interview with the president, with President Bev Watson and Vice President Dave Patrician of Dreams Take Flight Winnipeg. So if you enjoy golf, they've actually got a fundraiser coming up, and we're going to learn about that as well as how their organization is making dreams come true. But before we get to that, how about uh, When You Wish Upon a Star by Glenn Miller, right here on River City 360.
welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sonny Pomolo, and today with me I have Bev Watson and Dave Patrician from Dreams Take Flight. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Could you tell us about Dreams Take Flight and how it got started? Sure. In uh, 1989, a group of Air Canada employees uh, decided to do something for some children. So first of all, they were going to take them to Toronto Wonderland, and then they thought, well, we work for an airline. Let's see if they'll give us a plane. Mm. And uh, they approached Air Canada, and they gave a plane for the first flight down to Disney World. Since that time, there's eight chapters across Canada that now do it. Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, and Halifax. Mm. And either go to Disneyland or Disney World. That's excellent. Can you tell me how you both got involved with Dreams Take Flight? I became involved when they um, sent something out at work saying, would you be interested in helping out? And I did, and I've been there ever since, and it's been 25 years now. Wow. And yourself, Dave? Well, I was a uh, a sponsor. Uh, I was working for a company, and I was approached saying, can you donate product uh, for the the flight? So I did that for several years, and then one one year I was invited on. I said, hey, you've been a great sponsor. We want you to come on the flight and, and see what we do. Well, I guess I kind of impressed them on the flight because uh, I'm kind of a big kid at heart and I had more fun than probably everybody else at Disney (laughs) that day. And they said, we kind of want this guy on the flight. So I became a group leader and I've been doing this for as a group leader now for like six years. That's really amazing. How many uh, children do you take per year? From Winnipeg, we take about 135 to 140 children a year. It's 29 years this year and we've taken approximately 40,000 children from across Canada. All the money raised pays for the children to have all their expenses paid during these trips, correct? Correct, yes. Uh, Entry into the park, food, uh, we get them uh, a gift to take home with them. Everything is completely donated or paid for. Can you just kind of share some of the stories that you've had with some of the children? Like, what are some of their experiences? I remember going to Disneyland for the very first time as a child, and you know what? There's nothing that can really describe it. It was just amazing. And uh, as a child, you just feel, like, full. So what kind of stories uh, do you have to share about that? Oh, there's so many stories you could tell. The kids are just overwhelmed because they, first of all, they've never seen a palm tree in their life. <laughs> and then just the, the smiles that, that come on their faces when they, when they get off that plane or go into Disney World are just amazing. Um, we've had kids that have just blossomed overnight. And, wow. and they meld so fast together. They become so fast friends with the kids in their group. It's just amazing. This is an opportunity um, when Bev started this so many years ago that the whole idea is the child will probably never get to Disney any other way. So that's why we put this into their lives. And uh, it starts with um, the selection process and then the meet and greet, which is a a huge party that we have before us to kind of get to know the children. At that time, we're passing out Disney maps at the time, too. So the excitement starts to build. And then once they get those maps in their hand, as a group leader, I assign them homework. I said, it's really not about me. I know where I want to go, and I know how to get there the fastest, but I want you guys to pick out those rides. And um, I'd say 90% of the kids, when they get back that morning of the flight, they've got their little route mapped out. I'll help them, and I'll, I'll know the tricks and to get there faster and to get to some of the rides. But uh, And even the shy ones, the ones that, that don't say a word to you beforehand or barely and look almost afraid on the plane, and maybe they've never been separated from their parents before. Mm. Once they get off that plane and, and almost get down the stairs on the tarmac in Orlando. You could just see this starting to change. And even kids that are a little bit afraid of rides or maybe have never been on a ride like Splash Mountain or Space Mountain or Big Thunder Mountain, they might sit out that first time. But when the 
three of three or four of the other kids from their group come off like they've all won an Olympic gold medal because they're cheering and they're vibrating so much. The next ride, the kid that was shy and bashful, he goes on that ride. Awesome. Yeah, we've had some just wonderful stories. We had uh, one child with um, cerebral palsy, mm. and he lived outside of Winnipeg in a small town, and he came on the flight with his mother because of his disabilities, and. Um, he was in a group with some other children that had the same disability. Mm. And uh, the mother said, you know, Bev, I can't thank you enough. My child became a person that day. Wow. She said, he's the only person in our town that has that. He saw that other kids have it. She said, he became a leader. He told kids where to go. What, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. She said, I just can't thank you enough. That's, that's wow. And that's <laughs> what it's about. We spoke about some of the disabilities of the children here. So if people aren't aware, what are some of the criteria for children to be involved in this program? Um, they have to be between ages of 6 and 12, be medically fit for a 24-hour day because that's basically what it is. They're either physically or mentally or socially challenged, and they've never been to a Disney park, you know, or would never have the experience if it wasn't for our program. So let's talk a little bit about this golf tournament that you're holding on Monday. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, this is our 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. We do this. So we thought, what a better way to celebrate our 25th anniversary than have a golf tournament? Because a lot of people are always looking of ways to help out Dreams Take Flight. And, uh, you know, we, we, we sell raffle tickets. We, we have sponsorships. We have a gala every year and things like that. But, you know, the, we just this was just another way to help us raise money for this. Like, mm-hmm. like Bev was saying, like, we get the plane from Air Canada, but everything that goes inside the plane pretty much has to be supplied by us from fuel. And yes. uh, we, we, we give kids shoes and, and shirts, and we've got some great sponsors. So we really need to raise a lot of money. And golf tournaments are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So we've, this goes on the September 17th is, uh, on Monday at the uh, Southwood Golf Club. And it is going to be a tremendous day starting at 11 o'clock with registration and a lunch. And then we're going to have a, a lot of things to do on the course. Dinner afterwards, uh, hosted by uh, a couple of great guys that have been doing this for a long time. We're trying to get Chris Walby to come out too. And, and oh, Chris said he's going to do it, but he hurt his wrist. So he's, uh, he, he's, he, uh, I said, listen, even if you just go in the cart. He can drive he, the cart. You just drive the yeah. cart. I'm going to do that. Um, and somebody, some lucky golfer in attendance that day will win a trip for two anywhere in North America Air Canada flies. Oh, wow. And some destinations. It's going to be, it's a tremendous thing. And there's going to be the usual golf tournament uh, uh, swag bag, as we say, yeah. uh, prizes afterwards. Um, and it's going to be just one of the best days that probably ever will be. It'll be the equivalent of a kid going to Disney if you come <laughs> and join us on Definitely. the golf course. Very nice. So, like, how can people get involved with the golf tournament? Like, they can sign up and still play, correct? Oh, yes. Uh, And they don't even have to have teams. They can just be individual players as well, because we do have some that are looking for people to golf with. Yeah, a lot of details are are on our website, which is uh, ywg.dreamstakeflight.ca. And uh, there's registration and information and all that on on the great tournament. Awesome. So I really hope that we uh, get to see a bunch of people that are listeners here. Um, But um, yeah, so as far as the golf tournament goes, this is, again, the 25th anniversary. So this is a big deal for you guys. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's a great organization to get involved. That website that I gave you before, uh, wygdreamstayflight.ca, there's all kinds of information on that and those things too. And then, of course, if you wanted more information about uh, maybe you know of a child, maybe you know of somebody that the program would benefit from, uh, let us know that time too. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So again, uh, thank you both for coming to our show today on River City 360. You're welcome. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up next, how does $10,000 sound? 
If you've got someone ages 18 to 34 who has an idea to help make Canada better through social change, stay tuned because the Inspirit Foundation is open for grant applications for their change-up projects. We'll speak with Rudena Bahubeshi after our next musical break to learn all about it. Before we get to that, though, here is Paul Anka with Something Has Changed Me, right here on River City 360. Something has changed me, changed me so much. It was your love. It was your love. It was your Listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via telephone by Radania Bahubeshi. She's the manager of stakeholder engagement and communications at Inspirit Foundation. Radania, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So we've we've actually uh, talked about Inspirit Foundation on the show uh, a while back, a couple years ago. But let's let's refresh our listeners' memories. Uh, give us a give us a little rundown about what Inspirit Foundation does and and who you guys are. Absolutely. Inspire Foundation is a granting organization with a national focus. We're focused on addressing discrimination based on race, religion, and ethnicity, so fostering and advancing inclusion and pluralism. And currently we're in a, the, about at the middle of a strategic plan that is five years long, uh, where we are particularly focused on advancing reconciliation and addressing Islamophobia. Very good. Very cool. So we're going to talk a little bit about the change up grants that are coming out for 18 to 34 year olds, uh, just to do exactly what you said that are going to help with Islamia, Islamophobia, reconciliation, or 
pretty much any sort of uh, community issue that that uh, engages local issues like that. So um, how long has the ChangeUp granting stream uh, been around at InSpirit, and what are some of the projects that uh, ChangeUp has supported? Um, it's been around for a few years now. This year is our biggest uh our biggest amount of grants through ChangeUp. So um, we've done one round in the spring, and we'll be closing this round at uh, September 26th, um, where we'll be granting at least 18 of these $10,000 grants. Wow. Um, so a couple of the examples from the last round uh, that were Manitoba, uh, Manitoba and more specifically Winnipeg-based are um, the Red Rising Freedom School. Mm-hmm. So that was a school focused on um, engaging youth in resistance to colonial violence, um, supporting culture and language revitalization, um, and looking at things like like wa- um, land and water defense. Um, cool. Also, Sawa Theater, which was a project focused on Muslim newcomers and engaging them in uh, you know misconceptions of Islam and Islamophobia, um, and looking at uh, a final performance, creating a performance uh, art piece at uh, the Gas Station Art Center. Very cool. What what do you think it is about youth, like 18 to 34-year-olds who this uh, granting is available to, that um, are able to deal with these issues that are pretty heavy and pretty, you know, crazy things to think about and talk about and try to solve, but what what is it about that demographic that's that you think is capable of doing that? I think it's really our belief that these are the folks who are best positioned to do this work. They're really living a lot of these issues. Um, and in a time where a lot of these things are at the forefront, I think people are being engaged in them in a younger and younger age. Um, it's also about our strategy to really support effective, connected, and influential change leaders. So the outcomes of these grants are just as much about um, how are the individuals who are leading these projects really learning and honing on new skills to continue to be leaders in their community. Um, and it's also really recognizing that people have both the right experience. So for instance, if there are product uh, practitioners in theater, like what was their previous mm-hmm. experience in that? Not to say that they need to be professional, but just it needs to be uh, a project that you know has clear aims and has a real sense of where it's going. Um, and it's also about um, evaluating like what they're learning from that opportunity. Uh, we also certainly look for a lived experience. So for instance, if you are focused on a project supporting, like for instance, the Red Rising Freedom School that is focused on cultural and language revitalization amongst Indigenous communities, that that would be a project primarily led by Indigenous youth. For sure. And that's very important to have not to sort of walk with the Indigenous people as, as opposed to just um, applying what you think would be a solution for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that would go for, you know, if it was a project focused on uh, racialized queer youth, black youth, that it would always be that cultural community that is at the helm of the project and certainly able to work alongside individuals of different backgrounds, but that, the, that this is really informed by community. For sure. So you mentioned that this round of granting is, uh, the applications are closed September 26th, but what are you, what exactly are you looking for in these applications? What sorts of programs and, and uh, projects are you hoping to fund? Yeah, I think we're looking for um, projects where the goals are just really, um, they they make sense and they're and they're feasible. Like you're, mm-hmm. it's a ten thousand dollar grant, and we love like ambitious ideas, but also um, you know realistic ideas are important, right? And that the scope is uh, attainable for individuals. Um, that it's really an opportunity for somebody maybe to try something new and innovative, something that wouldn't necessarily get granted elsewhere, like because we're really interested in those opportunities where people are going to learn new things and try um, new things. You hear a lot these days about Islamophobia and reconciliation sort of being um, 
a, a similar problem in the fact that people just don't understand or a lot of it sometimes stems from ignorance of of different cultures and whatnot but it's it's interesting to see that young people are so e- uh, eager and willing to to break those stigmas and stereotypes and and bridge those divides, whereas the ne- the previous generation is is a little less is a little more hesitant to to kind of allow that thing that to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is exciting to see people delve on these issues, and while those particular uh, forms of discrimination and and histories are uh, very different in a lot of ways, it's really. Um, I guess inspiring to see how uh, youth from uh, like different backgrounds too are really you know recognizing how these all link to you know right. colonization on these lands and how you know there's an opportunity to have a conversation about um, you know the uh, what has happened on this land for hundreds of years and also right. how that really ties into um, you know forms of discrimination across many differences. For sure, if you don't if you don't learn the history, you're doomed to repeat it. And it seems like a lot of similar mistakes are being made in modern day that that we made years ago. For sure, are you optimistic personally when it comes to you know Islamophobia and reconciliation and all these really heavy topics? Are you personally optimistic about the way Canada is sort of headed? Wow, big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, personally optimistic, I think that um, to be honest, on a personal level, for me, it does optimism doesn't necessarily factor in okay. it's more about like what is our responsibility as individuals mm. and i see doing the work um to be undoubtedly our responsibility um and i think that uh the that responsibility and accountability is to the communities we belong to um and to the uh, young people we work with um and so i certainly feel hopeful in the many brave individuals particularly uh some of the young people we've talked about and, and worked with um so i think like their their bravery and their mm. courage really calls everyone else into account you know it's like we absolutely cannot be sitting on the sidelines so i mm-hmm. think uh more than optimism um perhaps uh responsibility in a good way no, for sure. um, is, is what i feel well, well said, and thank you for obliging me in the in the kind of a crazy question, but I appreciate that. So if, if a young person aged 18 to 30, 34 is listening to this and has an idea for one of these projects that's that's going to sort of help to try to solve some of these problems, where do they find more information? Yeah, so certainly come to our website, uh, inspiritfoundation.org. Um, if you go to our staff page and reach out to myself or another team member, um, and you even want to ask if your project's eligible or just get a little bit of feedback, like absolutely, we want to be as accessible as possible. We'll also be doing a live webinar. Um, so if you come on to our Twitter or Facebook channels on September 16th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, my colleague Sana Ali Mohammed will be on uh, online to answer all your questions. Um, and you can certainly tweet at us at InspiritFDN or find us on Facebook and just like write in your questions and we'll Perfect. be prepared to answer them in advance. Fantastic. Well, thank you for talking to us today. Again, that's inspiritfoundation.org, all one word. Uh, Radena Bahubi-Beshi is the Manager of Stakeholder Engagement and Communications at InSpirit Foundation. Thank you very much for talking to us today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks, Nolan. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up next, Sunny Primolo is back for another conversation with Wendy Bulla about this weekend's Open Farm Day. We'll learn what to expect and how you can take part. Before we get to that, though, here is Murray McLaughlin with The Farmer's Song, right here on River City 360. Dusty old farmer out working your field Hanging down over your tractor wheel 
The sun beaten down turned the red paint to orange And rusty old patches of steel There's no farmer songs on that car radio Just cowboys, truck drivers and pain Well, this is my way to say thanks for the meal And I hope there's no shortage of rain Straw hat and old dirty hankies Mopping a face like a shoe Thanks for the meal, here's a song that is real From a kid from the city to you Straw hat and old dirty hankies Mopping a face like a shoe A song that is real from a kid from the city to you. Well, the combines gang up and take most of the bread. Things just ain't like they used to be. Though your kids are out after the American dream and they're working in big factories. If I come back. When you're out in the sun Can I wave at you just like a friend These days when everyone's taking so much There's somebody giving back in Straw hat and old dirty hankies Mopping a face like a shoe Thanks for the meal, here's a song from the city to you Straw hat and old dirty hankies Mopping the face like a shoe Thanks for the meal Here's a song that is real From a kid from the city to you Welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sonny Promolo, and today with me is Wendy Bulla, Manitoba Association of Agricultural Societies Open Farm Day Coordinator. Thanks for coming to the show. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for uh, having us and being able to talk about Open Farm Day. Open Farm Day is happening on September 16th this weekend. Can you tell us, what is Open Farm Day? Open Farm Day is an opportunity when different farms, agricultural organizations, ag museums, a lot of people involved in the agricultural industry, open up their farms or their host sites, as we call them, because not all host sites are farms. And people can go and tour and talk to farmers or talk to people in the industry and learn more There's many different activities taking part. There's lots of tours. There's hands-on activities for those that are interested in learning more about different parts of agriculture or different farms, whether it's a dairy farm, a honey farm, a grain farm, bison ranch. You know, we even have four horse stables involved, uh, four organizations with horses. They can go and learn about that. Open Farm Day is really a way of helping everyone, both rural and urban, to learn more about agriculture and the role that it plays in our province. 
There are multiple host sites throughout the province, uh, whether it's north, uh, south, east, west. Uh, approximately how many host sites are available? There are 42 host sites, and the host sites are as far north as the Paw, uh, as far south in the southwest corner as just past Lyleton, Manitoba, all across the central area, the interlake, and also towards the east, as far east and south as uh, Piney and Arnold. And then we also have a site in the city of Winnipeg, the Keystone Agricultural Producers is doing a walking tour, and also there's two sites here in the city of Brandon. You mentioned that there are some events. What uh, type of events can uh, people expect? Well, they need to decide where first they want to travel. So <laughs> if they're living, say, in the city of Winnipeg, they may want to determine like which way would they like to go, what is it they want to see. Most Sobe stores and PV Mart stores have our actual brochure, and as well as the provincial and public libraries. Um, the other thing they can do is go online and go to our webpage, which is www.openfarmday.ca. And when they're in there, they go to host sites, and they'll see a big map, and it's divided into regions, as you mentioned earlier, west, north, etc. So if someone was, say, from Winnipeg and they wanted to travel, they could go to the central region, they could go up into the interlake, they could go east. So on the left-hand side is... Um, listing of the different regions. So say you wanted to go to the east region, you click on the east file, it'll open up, it shows you a map again, and then you can scroll down and you match the number um, in that region with the number that's of the description. It tells you where it is, it tells you when they're open, it tells you what activities are happening, what they're going to be doing, if they're selling anything, whether it's produce or whatever, and then uh, you can make a choice to go. And one of the things we want to caution and remind people about, um, Sunny, especially when they're leaving, you know, urban Manitoba, is to remember that some rural areas don't have great internet connections. So, you know, planning to use your GPS or your map sometimes doesn't work. So if you are going, you know, out to into the more rural areas, we suggest you print off the directions off of your computer or grab a brochure and, and bring it with you. That's excellent advice. For those that are wanting to go, is there a charge to visit some of these host sites? It depends what the host sites are doing, and if there are charges, they're listed on the brochure or on the web page, so depending where they're wanting to go, what they're wanting to do. Most host sites are open. Some host sites may have a fee for a particular activity, and that's up to the people to take part in. Um, and as I said, some of them may have produce for sale, so if you want to pick up some fresh produce, uh, make sure you take some cash along with you. But uh, most of them are open and there are no fees. But um, it's good to read the information about each of the sites and just be prepared to have a bit of cash on you. Again, uh, Open Farm Day will be happening on the 16th of this month, so be sure to check that out. Uh, before I let you go, Wendy, is there anything that you would like to add? Yes, um, I want people to make sure when they travel out into, whether they're going to the site in, in Winnipeg or Brandon or they're going out into the rural areas to think about a few safety issues. So number one, make sure you wear comfortable clothes. Take water with you. There isn't always, say, washroom facilities available. Uh, we would really prefer people to leave their pets at home, especially if you're going to a rural area onto a farm because sometimes um, pets from outside can cause a little disturbances. 
and we go rain or shine, Sunny, so like dress warm, dress in layers. And the other thing is, is remember some of the roads you'll be traveling along could be gravel. This is harvest time in the rural areas, so there's maybe big machinery moving down the roads. So be careful, take time, and just remember, we know it's kind of going slow when you get behind, say, a big combine that's moving from one field to another or a big grain truck. Don't, you know, get anxious and pull out and pass because lots of times that's when accidents happen. So we just encourage everyone to stay safe and take your time and enjoy the day. Again, thank you very much, Wendy, and uh, come out to Open Farm Day. Thank you very much for having us, and uh, we wish everyone, both the host sites and those coming to attend, a really great, safe, and enjoyable day. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us as well. If you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, you can visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the program. Please give us a call. The number to call is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and searching River River City 360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off and saying goodbye for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you.